Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Everybody, what is good? Welcome to episode 18 of the Off Day Debrief. I am Rob Stats Guerrera of Niners Nation. Alongside me, as always, Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. What is up, BLG? Stats, I'm so glad the season is over for the Eagles and we're getting into the playoffs and coaching search uh, for the NFL as a whole. Much happier to be talking about all of that. It was not a good year for our respective teams, but uh, the pain is over. Luckily, like you said, we are free now. As far as I'm concerned, we're on to the 2021 season, but we still have, you know, this little thing called playoffs and Super Bowl to get through. But like you said, today's show is going to be all about coaches, coaching openings, coaching candidates. We're going to dive into it from uh, every possible angle. We just want to remind you, please rate, review and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. You'll get this show, Monday Football Monday, the Palpably Unfair podcast, all the shows we do here at SB Nation and maybe a couple other new ones that might crop up. Keep your eye out for that. There's, there's things happening. Things are in the works, as some people like to say. But uh, so first, we're going to get to all the candidates and everything. But really quick, I just want to give you an opportunity because the Philadelphia Eagles are not among the teams that are looking for a new head coach or a new general manager. How do you, uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so I have a couple, maybe two minds literally a couple minds of the stats. And I think number one is that the Eagles are running it back because either Jeffrey Lurie, the Eagles owner, actually believes that Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman, who obviously were two pillars of the team's Super Bowl winning team in 2017, legitimately have the answers to get this fixed. He believes in these guys and he feels like now is not the time to move on from them, number one. Or number two, he realizes that um, they're probably not those guys and he has hope maybe that they can be, but he's looking at this thing realistically and he's kind of making it so that, um, like this is their last ride, like 2021 is their last chance. And the Eagles are such a mess here stats in terms of like, they're, they're way over the cap, like 70 million over the cap next year. Um, they're locked into this roster. Any kind of coach or GM you bring in in this situation isn't really getting a fresh start by any means. And it's almost it would almost be unfair to those new guys because so much of their beginning of their new tenure would be cleaning up a whole mess. And, you know, maybe you can't even get a full evaluation on those new guys. And maybe you can't even attract candidates to those jobs because of how bad the situation is here. So I'm I'm hoping, kind of thinking, it might be the number two of those two because I'm hoping Jeffrey Lurie isn't super delusional, but I think that's where it, where it is. <laughs> that's an interesting point. So he figures, you know what, it's going to hurt next year regardless. Let's stick with who we have. I'm already going to pay these guys anyway. So that seems legitimate to me. That is definitely, I don't think that's crazy to think that way. But hey, I hope they turn it around. I am i don't like to see you go through the season like you just experienced. I know what that's like. It is horrible. But. We do have some teams with head coaching openings. We're going to power rank them because that's what we do on this show. So these will be 100% accurate, right? Just like yours? Yeah, I mean, that's the gist of the show here, Stats. That's why we rank things. You know, it's the definitive source. I mean, everyone can have rankings and they're subjective, but not here. They're factual. <laughs> so I dove into this yesterday. Like, I spent way too much time on on this. I was super excited about it. And I came up with five sort of categories I look at. When I'm d deciding how good a job is, if I were a head coaching candidate, will you humor me and let me run through them? Let's do it. Okay. First thing is ownership. Like very simply, bosses matter. It's, it, bosses matter with owners and you have to, that's not something you can ignore. And it, it's a pretty low bar for me. Like if you're willing to help me out, great. 
but really all I need from you as an owner is just don't make my life any harder. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And um, I mean, obviously you have to be kind of, you don't want to be like, you know, kind of Dan Snyder here or or something, you know, where the franchise is a total joke and looked down upon. Uh, you want to have at least some kind of baseline level of competency there. Absolutely. We're on the same page. Number two, most important thing to look at, quarterback. It's the most important position in American sports. You either have one or you need one, but regardless, it's going to shape your entire tenure with that team. So established quarterback, I would say, or like path to getting one. Obviously, you know, like let's say you have the number one overall pick, like that kind of that kind of thing matters. 100%. Yeah, you don't have to have the guy, but like you said, you need to have a way to get the guy if you don't have one. Number three, I look at your division. Almost 40% of your schedule comes against divisional opponents, and you need to look at that when you're considering which job to take. Yeah, especially if you're in a division, let's say, with the Kansas City Chiefs, who have Patrick Mahomes, or, you know, back in the day, Tom Brady and the AFC East. Yeah, definitely relevant. Number four is just the rest of the roster. Like, how much work do I have to do in order to win? And along with that, too, like you mentioned with the quarterback, is the draft picks, like the path to building the roster. What do I have to work with to get this thing sort of up and running? And what's number five? Number five is expectations. How soon do I have to win? Like expectations matter. If you expect a seven and I deliver a five, you're disappointed. But if you expect a three and I deliver that same five, you're happy with me. So expectations matter. How long do I have to build my program? Yeah, I think that is definitely something I would I would kind of even just tie into ownership too in terms of the mandate and you know what's the what's the plan going in. Um, you know, let's say let's just take the Dolphins for example. Like if they were supposed to be in win now mode, which I mean Brian Flores kind of took them into, but yeah. you know, that wasn't the stated goal right away. And obviously they did have some very bad losses early on, and but that was okay because they knew this was a plan and, and there was supposed to be a patience there. So those are my five things. Ownership, quarterback, division, roster, expectations. Um, There are six head coaching openings. What to you is, what was your number six for the, the least attractive of all the open jobs? It's an interesting list, you know, just because it's funny. You know, this isn't like my, you know, my regular power ranking stats, which I like the Jaguars, you know, spoiler alert, finish worst you know, 32 out of 32, but they're, you know, that's the season that's not projecting forward. Um, when you want to talk about the worst, I think I have to put the Falcons at the bottom of my list here, stats, just because um, Matt Ryan, they're still kind of tied to him financially. Um, they're actually in not a good cap situation, kind of like the Eagles. They have a lot of money spent here on the books. Um, I believe they're one of the oldest rosters in the NFL. So it's not like they have this, you know, young talent uh, up and coming. Um, so that's where I start with at the bottom. I 100% agree to me. It's, it's pretty clear too. It wasn't even that hard to put them there. And here's the thing with Matt Ryan, he's good enough to where you're not going to lose games with him and, but you can't really move him because of his contract. So you're never going to be bad enough to get a high pick, to get a new quarterback, but you can't move on from him because of his contract. So you're kind of stuck in no man's land there with Atlanta. Um, they got a roster that's kind of just eh. like they got a lot of meh guys. I, I don't love really anyone on their roster except for maybe Christian Kirk, even Julio Jones, another guy again, still really good, expensive, can't really move him. He's banged up all the time. I don't love anything about that Falcons job. If I'm looking at it from a division standpoint, maybe, you know, you can kind of sell me on there's opportunity here because Drew Brees is going to be headed out the door yeah. soon. Uh, Tom Brady will be headed out the door sooner than later. Teddy Bridgewater isn't scaring anyone here in North or in Carolina. Um, so maybe, you know, if they can find the right quarterback and get this thing going in the right direction, maybe in a couple of years. Um, but they obviously the Falcons also have to hire a GM too. So that'll be important to see uh, what they do there. I totally agree with you. I have the Falcons at number six. Number five for me, I picked the Detroit Lions. Um, the ownership there is fine. They're not going to make your life harder. They let the lions stink for years without getting too nosy. Like that sounds bad, but it's actually kind of a good thing. Like they're just willing to stand back and let the football people do the football stuff. Matt Stafford is good. He's older and banged up, but he still has value. And I think you could move him if you wanted to. So that's an asset that you have in your pocket. 
the division is okay. It's not impossible to thrive there. Um, the only thing that I don't like is really the roster needs a lot of work outside of Kenny Galladay. I don't really love anyone on that roster. So it's not terrible, but I, I had to put him at number five. I actually have the Texans at number five stats, but to, to, to talk about the Lions here, um, one of the things that concerns me about them is the presence of a man named Rod Wood, who, um, and kind of tying into the Texans, like, it really bothers me stats increasingly that there are these guys and NFL front offices who are like, how did you get here? They're, <laughs> do you watch Game of Thrones stats? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay, so character called Littlefinger in oh, that yeah. show. Yeah, who, who's this guy who, like, isn't royalty or anything. He's just, like, this schmoozer, basically, who kind of works his way up into place of power, and he kind of plays all sides, and he, he's, like, a smooth talker. He gives, you know, the people uh, at the top maybe what they want to hear. And I kind of worry about Rod Wood in that capacity for the Lions because, like, um, he isn't, like, necessarily, like, a football guy, but he's worked his way into that kind of control. And when he's running things like that, um, that there's a level of concern there for me. Um and I know with the Texans like that, it's kind of been Jack Easterby, you know, who started out as like team chaplain. And now <laughs> he's like, his, his like personnel power. Yeah. It's like, it's like, who are these people? How do they get in the door here? Um, but I have the lines number four, just because in part um, Matt Stafford, I feel like just the, they're going to have an opportunity. It's an interesting position. Cause like, they can either kind of keep him and feel like, okay, we're actually not that far off from winning, or they could deal him and get something, maybe some good things in return, but perhaps to your 49ers stats. Please, as you, please. Yeah, as I know you want to happen and kind of get some things in return and then, and then you kind of break this thing down and build it for the long term. What would you do if you were in charge of the Lions? Would you keep Stafford or would you move him? I think it's time to move on from Stafford. Um, and that's really not like, a, like a personal thing against him as much as it's kind of just like the timelines don't line up anymore. I think for the lions, that's how they have to look at it and kind of just trade him. I think they, the, the best value um, for Matt Stafford, isn't him being on their team. It's him, what they can get for him in a trade, assuming the trade return, you know, is good. You know, you're not selling him just to sell him. You're not selling him on the cheap, but if you get a, a quality return for him, I think that kind of leads you in the right direction for kind of a, a longer rebuild. And in terms of expectations, you're kind of in a good spot because Jim Caldwell was there. They were nine and seven. The expectations were kind of high. Then Patricia comes in and completely just screws everything up. And now people look at them as a terrible team. So if you're following that guy, you're great. The expectations for you are low. Whoever they hire, is, if they win six, seven games next year, people are going to be like, okay, they're on the right track. So that's always nice to be when you're the new guy. Yeah. And Division perspective, I mean, Rodgers is still around. That's tough. Uh, but, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins isn't exactly scaring anyone, at least not scaring me. And Mitchell Drabisky might be back. Um, it's not, you know, a cake division by any means, but it's not anything like, um, you know, I mean, Rodgers is, 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 is pretty scary, but, you know, he's also on, on the uh, on the wrong side uh, of aging. So, um, that's, you know, that's where I'd put that. It's not. It's difficult, but you can thrive there. Like you said, if the Bears get fooled into keeping Nagy and Trubisky again, like that's fantastic for you if you're the coach of the Lions. That's exactly what you want. Uh, I put the Texans one spot ahead of the Lions on my list just because of Deshaun Watson. He's so freaking good. Just to know that like you're there, he's under contract, he's really good. You do not have to worry about that. The hardest part of building your team is done there. So that was the only reason I had Houston at number four. But the ownership in Houston, they're making your life harder. They are absolutely making your life harder. They let Jack Easterby, like you were just talking about, like he's there. He's He doesn't get blamed when the football stuff goes wrong, but he gets credit when it goes right. Like it's just a weird setup there. So there's not, a, I don't love that part of it for Houston, but the Watson part put the the Texans over the Lions for me. Yeah, I mean, that's fair for sure. I just, I, I look at like the concern when it comes to, you know, being able to build this thing with, uh, and maybe this is more on the GM side, but, you know, no first round pick, what, no second round pick. Um, you know, they're lacking assets and, and they've had some 
So I, I just think it could be tough to build a little bit around Deshaun Watson, which, hey, maybe that doesn't matter a ton. If he's going to have as good of a season as he did this year, um, again, he can continue to play as well as he did despite being in a really bad situation. And certainly when it comes to attracting candidates, you know, having Watson in-house as opposed to, you know, the, the path to getting a quarterback or having to do with something with Stafford, um, I think that's certainly fair. And your second biggest star on the team, J.J. Watt, is getting older and I think kind of wants out. I think he's ready to go to more of a contending team. And, I, you know, so that's not a good thing either if you're the Houston Texans. Your second biggest player is a big question mark for you. Maybe the Steelers. I don't know if they can take him on oh. and reunite him with his brother, but that'd be fun. That would be insane. All right. So we are up to number three now in our power rankings list. I don't know if you're going to agree with this one. What do you, who, first of all, who do you have at number three? I have the New York football jets. Yes. Three stats. Um, I look, you know, Joe Douglas is there. Eagles assistant. Um, you have the number two overall pick in this year's draft. Not number one, number two, after you know losing or winning those games at the at the end of the year. Um, you know, you're in a an AFC East that the Bills are sure looking scary and could be a problem for a long time. The Dolphins are on the rise. Um, Patriots, I mean, Bill Belichick is still there. Who knows what to make of them until they get a quarterback. Um, but just the Jets situation specifically, I mean, Darnold, maybe you believe in him. I think it's hard to kind of just say like he's definitely your your undisputed guy going into this season, but maybe you feel like you can kind of salvage him to some extent. Um, I think the Jets have kind of been in a position where this thing has rightfully taken a longer rebuild. Um, it's not like they've like been in this great position to uh, in terms of like having all this talent, uh, although Gates obviously probably not making the most of it, safe to say. Um, so <laughs> I think there's something to work with here. I totally agree. I had the Jets at number three. I think you can make the case now that the division is harder now than it was in the heart of the Patriots dynasty because there was nobody else good, really, for most of the time that the Patriots were kicking everybody's butt in the AFC East. And now you've got to contend with Buffalo and Miami, who look like they're not going anywhere for a while. And like you said, New England is still New England. I think the AFC East is harder now than it's been in years. Yeah, I mean, the teams are better. Um, the Jets do have some draft assets to work with here this year in terms of, you know, they from the Jamal Adams trade, they have the 27th overall pick in addition to the number two overall pick. Um, they have multiple picks in the, uh, the third round. Um, they have some other later picks too. And then going into next year, they will also have uh, the Jets first round pick. So, uh, so they have some stuff to build with here. It's a matter if they, you know, get the, t- if Joe Douglas is truly the right guy at GM and kind of get the, the right talent in here. Um, maybe the Jets stats are kind of a team I was thinking, and I guess we're going to get into candidates in the second half. Um, but, but can I throw a name out there right away? Sure. All right. So I am not a Marvin Lewis guy at all. <laughs> to, be, to be clear, I, like, I just feel like that's the, like being interested in Marvin Lewis is the problem with the NFL. It's like at this time of year, we just see the same names recycled over and over. But I kind of think about how Washington, you know, hired uh, Ron Rivera and that gave them a level of credibility. Like maybe someone like Marvin Lewis can kind of just like come in and give the jets like a level of credibility. Did you steal my notes? I literally wrote down Marvin Lewis's name in my notes and said, he's just like Ron Rivera. Like he's just an (laughs) adult. He's not a bad head coach by any stretch, but he, I feel like he kind of is what he is, but you're right. He's an adult. He provides credibility. And that's something that the jets haven't had for a while whether it's with ownership, which I think their ownership situation is absolutely horrible. Pick a Johnson, Woody Johnson, Christopher Johnson, doesn't matter. They're both terrible. And they haven't had credibility from a head coaching position. I mean, from from the second Adam Gase took over, his introductory press conference, he didn't have (laughs) credibility. When he he was looking all over the place, and one of the weirdest things. I mean, I'll never get over that. What was he looking at? Like from that second, he didn't have credibility there with the Jets. And Marvin Lewis or someone like that would provide that. Um, the only thing I I will say is the expectations for the Jets are low. I mean, this is now the longest playoff drought in the sport. If you're 500 there next year, I think it's a big improvement. There are pieces to work with. Becton looks like a player. Quinnen Williams looks like a real player in the middle on that defense. The Jets defense is not horrible. 
They've got some solid players there. There, there is a foundation there for sure. If they get the right guy, they could turn it around fairly quickly. Yeah, I think there's hope for them. Um, again, it kind of comes down to Douglas, you know, being the guy here, and and just in addition to the draft picks, by the way, the Jets have the uh, second most amount of cap space uh, in next season. So they also have some money to spend. And that could be more valuable than ever, potentially, you know, de- depending on what the cap looks like this year and teams might be uh, reluctant to spend in the climate that, you know, the, the world is in. So uh, maybe they, it's kind of going to be like a buyer's market and they can kind of get some good deals in here. Yeah, they have everything that you need in place to build a team, especially at the quarterback position, because they're in a great spot. They have a guy that they could potentially keep if they want and trade the number two pick and get a ton back because, you know, you're going to get a lot if you decide to move out of that pick. Or if you think that Darnold's not the guy, you, there's an asset there. You can get something for Sam Darnold, and you don't have to give anything up to draft your new quarterback, whether it's Zach Wilson or Josh Fields or whoever you might go to. So I agree. The Jets are in a good spot, even if the team right now is not great. So there's two spots left on our list, and I think I know where you're going to go next. Yeah. I think you have the Chargers at number two. Am I right? No. Really? I have the Chargers at number one stats. I have the Jaguars at number two. You know, I was caping for the Jaguars last week. Who yes. they didn't, they didn't win, but they did cover. So next <laughs> best thing. Um, but yeah, the Jags. We kind of talked about it last week at the end of the show. But I mean, most cap space in the NFL next year. Youngest roster in the league. Least expensive roster. Kind of said that with the cap space. Um, they have these draft picks to work with. Know from the Jalen Ramsey trade and uh, the Yannick Ngakwe trade, um, they've you know this has been intentional. This is basically they're kind of following script from what the Dolphins were doing and tearing it down and looking at the long term. So um, you know coming into Jacksonville too, the expectations I believe will be managed appropriately because <laughs> uh, you know they they know this thing is a long term rebuild and also because you know, when we talk about the division, it is. A, a division with no, you know, true juggernaut in there. I mean, the Colts are making the playoffs this year, but their quarterback situation, they don't have a long-term answer there. Philip Rivers turning 40 and being hurt. The Titans, um, I think they're good, but they're still a flawed team. They're not anything like the Chiefs, you know, for example. And then um, the Texans, they have their own issues as well. So I think the Jaguars' job for me is number two. I am amazed at how similar our rankings are. I also have the Jags at number two. Um, they have, like you said, the division is eminently winnable. They have 11 total picks and over a hundred million in cap space. No expectations there. I, I didn't like that. Shad Khan said the other day that he's still going to maintain roster control. Like you don't have to say that if you're an owner, every owner has roster control. You're the owner, like no one answer or you don't answer to anybody. But the fact that he said it publicly, something about that rubbed me the wrong way. And the only thing I don't love about the Jag situation is their weird relationship with London. Like, I think Shad Khan wants to move the team to London. He tried to buy a stadium there. They play in London every year. He wants to get that team to London. And I don't know in terms of, like, free agents and all that. Is, like, is that going to be attractive for guys? So, to me, that he makes your life harder. Like I said earlier, that's the one thing I don't want from my owner. Yeah, I don't want, uh, especially if I'm going to hire a GM, I don't want the owner saying that, things like that. Um, that's weird. That is definitely a factor. Maybe I'm not uh, considering high enough um, when you look at the ownership there. I don't, I'm not, yeah, I don't love the con factor. But <laughs> I think the, oppor- <laughs> the opportunity is so good, though. You know, between, again, the, the cap space and, everything. and then the number one overall pick. I mean, you know, you get your pick of your franchise quarterback here. If I was the Jags GM, I would just float out just quietly. Like, hey, if we wanted to move down from number one, just what could we get just to see what was out there? Because if you're potentially giving up Trevor Lawrence, I think you could get a hell of a lot. It's interesting, too, in this year where it feels like the quarterback hierarchy is or the quarterback um, supply rather is like there's a decent amount of these guys, right? I mean, it's we're early in the draft process here as far as this show goes, but um, you know, like how big is the gap between Trevor Lawrence and the next couple guys? And if you and if you're the team, you know, making that determination, you don't feel like it's as high. Maybe you can, you know, move down a couple spots. Maybe you can and and find a way to uh, and to get more of those assets. I I would be cautious about that. 
I would think just like if you like the guy, just go get him. Don't mess around. Um, they already have draft picks to work with. Um, but but yeah, they have options. Optionality is a good thing. So then at number one, that means for you and for me would be the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think yes. the biggest reason why is Justin Herbert, right? You've got a young stud quarterback who's literally coming off a season where he threw more touchdown passes than any rookie quarterback in the history of the National Football League. And when you're starting to build your team, that is a damn nice thing to have in your pocket. Yeah, and I've I've I think Tom Telesco, the general manager there, is just kind of underrated. I think he's an underrated GM. I think that roster is good. Stats that you know did my power rankings end of year, and I put the Chargers, I believe, here around like I think I put them at 14th overall. <laughs> and maybe that's me being too bullish on them. Um, but it made sense when I was doing it. And I just think they've been better than the record indicates this year. You know, I think Anthony Lynn cost them games that they could have won. Uh, the Chargers rank one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in eighth in cap space next year. Um, they don't have a, a surplus of picks or anything, but they have their picks. It's not like they they're missing them. Uh, Justin Herbert in place. It's nice weather out there in California. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, the uniforms are awesome. How much does that matter to a head coach? Probably, maybe not at all. I like it. Um, and look, you want to talk about expectations. The Chargers don't even have, do they even have like a real fan base in terms of like, <laughs> you know, like, and then I don't want to say that to slight Chargers fans. I have nothing but respect for Chargers fans, but it's just like, you know, where where is the intensity? You know, because they, they move the team. Uh, and everything so and and they can't even fill the stadium when it's non-covid times so yeah i like that chargers job a lot and they have the two hardest things you need to build a team the young quarterback and they have a pass rusher joey bosa's locked up there mm. he's really freaking good those are the two hardest things to get you usually have to pick very high in the draft to get both of those they already have them you have to play the chiefs twice a year every year which is rough but the rest of the division is not super scary and there, there is a little expectation because you have Herbert and people know that he's good. Like if you go 500 there, you're not praised like you would be for some of the other teams on this list. But to me, it's clearly the number one spot. The quarterback is there. The uniforms are sweet, by the way. I mean, they pick one. They've got like eight and they're all awesome. So, so my list goes Chargers one, Jags two, Jets three. Texans four, Lions five, and Falcons six. Your list is the same, except you have the Texans and the Lions flipped, right? Uh, I be- Well, yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. But you thought I had the Chargers number two, or the Jaguars number one, and I didn't, yes. I'm amazed at how similar this list was. We had no collaboration whatsoever before we recorded this. So that is our breakdown of the openings. Now we want to take a break, and then we want to get to some of the guys that could be filling said openings. There's a few interesting names on the list, including one that I maybe the most popular name on the list, the most famous name I wouldn't hire with somebody else's money. I'll explain when we come back. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smart Water Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. This is our head coaching vacancy episode. We just ranked all the teams, all the openings. Now let's look at some of the candidates, BLG. And the biggest candidate to me on the list is Urban Meyer, who reportedly Mm. the Jags job is his if he wants it. He's thinking about it. He's maybe assembling a staff. I want no part of Urban Meyer if I were an NFL team. To me, there's no evidence that he would be a good NFL head coach. He's been very, I want to say this carefully, His health has been an issue, supposedly, in multiple stops in college. So I don't know how long you can expect to have him as the head coach of your NFL team. 
I am not enamored with Urban Meyer at all. Am I missing something? No, I'm not an urban guy either. And maybe it's because, you know, I've been burned out by Chip Kelly and I'm kind of like too afraid to kind of go back to that well and not to say that they're the same guy. Um, But I don't know. I just don't love that, especially, you know, if this is going to be a situation where he's coming in and he is getting all this power. Like I want to I want to be clear here. Like I want a head coach who's going to coach the team and I want a GM who's going to run the thing for the long term. I don't, I don't want the, the head coach doing that, especially first year guy coming from college. I just, I don't love that. Maybe the Jags want it in part because, you know, it's, it's Florida, it's in that market. And they feel like that would get people like even more excited about the team. And they feel like they have to do that because they've been bad for forever here. Um, but yeah, I would, I would not be into that if, if I'm the Jags. I mean, if you're going to hire a college coach, to me, there's only one name on the list and it's pretty obvious. It's Jim Harbaugh. That's the mm. guy you want to hire. I mean, say what you want about Harbaugh, which he has not been good at Michigan. He was a great NFL head coach. He made the NFC Championship game at least in three of his four years as an NFL head coach. He's the clear choice over Urban Meyer, isn't he? I don't know how to reconcile Harbaugh at Michigan with how good he was in the NFL because I'm there with you in terms of like when you look at his record in the NFL, it's pretty freaking good. And like (laughs) I can't really disparage that. Um, But at the same time, like – like, has he lost his fastball? Like, what has gone on at Michigan, you know, where things have been so bad? Is he just not a college coach anymore, but he's an NFL coach? Like, that's a weird uh, dynamic to think about. So I think I actually agree with you, but I, I just don't love how things have been trending for Harbaugh. That is true. He is not a build-it-up kind of a guy. Like, he came in to a Niners team that was ready to win, and I think that's kind of a situation like to me, if you hired, if he went to the Chargers, that would be mm. awesome because they have a solid roster and a really good quarterback. Like that's a home run to me. That's but if he, went, if he went to a team like, you know, the Falcons or the, something like that, I don't think that would be a good spot for him. So he's got to land in the right spot. But you're right. I mean, Harbaugh, Michigan Jim Harbaugh is is just weird and kind of scary. <laughs> well, he's always been weird and scary, I feel like, but but to a new level, maybe. Okay, so if Urban Meyer, you and I are on the same page there, who is the candidate then that you're most excited about? For the Jags or just an, an to- uh, as, a, as a whole? As a whole, for anybody. Um, I would say Brian Dable. Has to be. You know, my Bills here, Stats, who are going to win the Super Bowl. That's right. Um, I, I just think he's been awesome. I mean, look at that offense. They just dropped, what, 56 or whatever it was, 57 on the on the Dolphins who were playing to make the playoffs. And, you know, have has the defense has been the strength of their team in Miami. I mean, man, um, I think that offense is awesome. I think Dable has done a great job with Josh Allen. And I would love, love to see Dable uh, connected with the Chargers in Los Angeles. And if I, if I believe... I saw this correctly. Uh, Dable and Tom Telesco were actually uh, t- uh, teammates or they went to the same high school together or something. They have a connection there. There's a connection between Dable and Telesco. So I would love to see Dable stay in the NFC and go out or sorry, AFC and go out West to the chargers. Here's the feather in Dable's cap, which is Josh Allen has improved under me year to year to year. He's gotten better with me here. I'm a part of that. And that is a huge feather in your cap, I think, as opposed to a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who I don't know how to separate Eric Bieniemy from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Like, if you have an all-time great quarterback that you're working with, it's hard for me to know how good of a coach and a coordinator you are. Look at Adam Gase. Adam Gase looked functional when he had Peyton Manning as his, you know, quarterback. So how do I separate that? When I'm looking at Eric Bieniemy, to me, that's why I put Dable ahead of Bieniemy. If I was sort of comparing them head to head, that is exactly my thinking as well. Stats here with Bieniemy. Now, I will say though, in Bieniemy's defense, um, and not even necessarily doing directly with him, but look at all these former Andy Reid head coaching tree coaches. Stats: John Harbaugh, ah. Sean McDermott, Matt Nagy, Sean Payton, Frank Reich, Andy Reid. Well, actually, Payton wasn't. Um, and Reich, I'm tying into Doug Peterson, you know, uh, and then Ron Rivera. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the teams in the playoff stats. I've had coaches from the Andy Reid coaching tree. <laughs> and, and then if you want to include Andy Reid himself, obviously. Um, so I, I just think it's a good bet. Now, I don't really love Nagy. So I'm not saying it always works out. And it's definitely like there's nothing that could go wrong with it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Brad Childress. There have been things that have gone wrong in the past with the Andy Reid coaching tree, but it's a good bet to make as opposed to just like, especially, you know, if you're kind of aimless and you don't know what you're doing and you, you've gotten the head coaching searches wrong in the past and you're kind of just looking for someone, you know, like that'll probably at least be a ground rule double as opposed to a total strikeout, then I think it's, you know, the Andy Reid coaching tree, Eric Bieniemy is a good way to go. That's an interesting way to look at it. You're right. It's it's sort of the opposite of the Belichick coaching tree, right? Like Belichick's coaching tree, they have not flourished apart from him. Andy Reid has been the complete opposite. That is a good point by you. Speaking of the Belichick coaching tree, Josh McDaniels is a name that's been floated out there. Um, I don't want any part of Josh McDaniels if I was an NFL team. He would not be getting my job. He just... Doesn't he strikes me as a guy that wants to be Belichick, and you can't do that unless you have all those Super Bowls, and Josh certainly doesn't have those. Yeah, I don't know what situation like is right for him too. Like, where are you really putting him? Are you putting him in somewhere to build something? Like, I don't think so. And does he really have the credibility? Um, just kind of thinking back, I know it's been a while now, but to how he flamed out last time to take over the short term thing and and instantly win the respect of those players and and have things go well there and kind of coming into a messy situation already. Um, yeah, I'm no, not not into McDaniels. Yeah, he started six and zero with the Broncos and everybody loved him, and then he lost eight of his last ten games in Denver to finish eight and eight. Then they were like three and seven the next year, and he was out. So it did not go well for him with Denver. And I agree, like, this is his last shot. If he gets another job, this he's not going to get hired again after that if it doesn't work out. So he's got to be really choosy. I thought he was sort of waiting for Belichick to retire so he could just sort of take the reins in New England. Yeah. If, if I'm him, that may be the way to go, especially considering that, you know, the Colts thought that they were going to hire him. Like, that was a done deal. And then all of a sudden, yeah. it wasn't a done deal, and he left them high and dry. Teams don't forget about that kind of stuff. Oh, trust me, stats. I remember that one because the Colts hired this guy called Frank, named Frank Reich, who was the Eagles' offensive coordinator. Right? Yeah, uh, true. And and that was not so great for the Eagles. But yeah, I I agree. And you know, let's see what the the Patriots do. You know, moving forward. You know, this was obviously a weird year for them in terms of a lot of players opting out, and then you lose one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game <laughs> walks away from you. So maybe. McDaniels can kind of boost his stock, you know, if a new quarterback comes in and then we can see, okay, like this offense is looking good. You know, maybe McDaniels deserves more credit here, but this doesn't feel like the year. What's your take? Cause the other hot name on the list is Robert Sala and you're outside the 49ers bubble. So I want your take on him. Are you buying into the hype or what do you think of him? Uh, I'm buying into the hype a little bit here. I mean, I think you look at what that defense has done, especially at times with the injuries the 49ers have had this year. And obviously, I I don't think you can even say Robert Sala's name without bringing up the fact that, what, he's from like Dearborn, Michigan, and there's been all the connections to the the Lions there. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it's kind of a weird thing to do to go from like defensive head coach to another defensive head coach in part because I like to skew towards offense. But um, when you look at his temperament and everything, uh, maybe that's what the Lions need. What about you? You're the 49ers expert. Uh, First of all, he's a psycho. Like he gets as pumped for what happens on the field as the players do. I've never seen anything like it. Here's my, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him, but I don't know that I would ever hire a defensive head coach because here's the thing. Let's say you hire him, right? He's going to have to bring with him a really good coordinator. A lot of people think it'll be Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's brother, who's on the 49ers staff right now, which is fine. That's great. But after one or two good years, Mike LaFleur will be a head coaching candidate and he might leave. So then Salah's is going to have to find another good offensive coordinator to go with him. If you hire the offensive coach to be your guy, you don't have to worry about him leaving for another job. So I don't know that I would ever go with a defensive head coach, even though I do think Robert Sala will be a good one. Yeah, philosophically, I totally agree with that. Now, if I want to play devil's advocate here, let's look at the playoff teams. Bills, defensive head coach, Sean McDermott. Steelers, defensive head coach, Mike Tomlin. Mike Vrabel, a Titans, defensive head coach. That's three. Um, number five, John Harbaugh, a special teams guy, but he had defensive background before he, he he was the special teams coordinator. So if you want to throw him on defense, that's another one. Uh, you know, uh, Browns and Colts know. You won't switch over to the, uh, the NFC. It's more offensively inclined, except uh, the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, uh, Washington, Ron Rivera. 
Um, and then, and then, uh, yeah. So, so there are some, you know, maybe I'm not, I haven't given enough respect to the defensive thing. Again, I still would like to lean towards offense and I get that point because yeah, you bring in the, the offensive coordinator. He's great. Okay. But then you lose him. I mean, just look at some of the head coaches, coaching candidates in this cycle, like in Arthur Smith, you know, like the Titans are probably going to lose him. I think Arthur Smith has already received like an interview request from every team with an opening. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's definitely the risk you run. I, that's a good argument, but the two number one seeds are offensive head coaches, sure. Matt LaFleur and Andy Reid. Um, I, we have to talk about this because I can't do a head coaching episode and not talk about this. The Chargers requested an interview with Jason Garrett. They was, <sighs> why? <laughs> why? What could you possibly have seen? Unless the qualifications for your head coach are clapping, why would you ever need to talk to Jason Garrett? I do not begrudge any organization for talking to as many people as they can in theory. Like, I think that's always a good thing because um, why not? There's no, like, what's the problem with it? But if they're actually consider seriously considering hiring Jason Garrett, which I would hope and assume they're not because that would just signal to me that they actually hate Justin Herbert. And they, <laughs> they, they, just, they, they think he's good, but they like don't like him. Um, you know, he, he comes in. And uh, he's just a total jerk. So uh, that would say, that would be the signal to me. Um, and hopefully that's not the case. Yeah, that is. I mean, there's just no. You can't go from Anthony Lynn to Jason Garrett. That's like a downgrade. That would be <laughs> worse. You'd be less organized. But you're right about the interviewing thing. Al Davis used to do that with the Raiders. He used to interview a zillion people because he liked to just sort of get the lay of the land. How do people outside my organization view my team, which is actually kind of a, a smart strategy. Um, is there any other candidate you want to talk about that I haven't brought up yet? Well, I would just say Arthur Smith again, just because I think you look at how awesome the Titans offense has been um, under him. And he kind of have an, an interesting background too. I believe his, his father is what, like the founder of FedEx. Like he's just kind of interesting background, interesting story. Um, got into football, I believe, after like the military, um, after in the military. So there's just like an interesting background there. It seems like a unconventional candidate in that sense. Um, yeah, I would definitely, I mean, every team apparently is looking into him. So I, I would think he gets hired if every team is like interviewing him and, and looking into him. Uh, that's that's a name I really like. And I, hey, if the, the Chargers don't get Dable, Arthur Smith could be a pretty good consolation prize. Um, I think he could be a pretty intriguing candidate no matter where he goes. And if I'm looking at Arthur Smith, I really like the fact that he took Ryan Tannehill and has turned him into a really good quarterback. If you can take a quarterback that failed somewhere else that looked bad and make him really good, to me, that points to your ability as a coach. That is a huge feather in your cap. That's a huge mark in your favor. I mean, nobody wanted Ryan Tannehill. They bring him there and he's making plays down the field. He hasn't just been good. He has been really good. And Arthur Smith has to get credit for that. So I totally agree with you. He's somebody that's going to be somewhere else next season, and he should be. Um, so there are the main candidates. There are other people out there. Wink Martindale from the Ravens, their defensive coordinator, is going to get some looks. There have been rumors about some other college coaches like Pat Fitzgerald. I, I, none of those guys really excite me. Was there anyone else in college that you thought it was even worth discussing? I didn't really love any of the names that were brought up. Yeah, not really. Um, I think the college thing is tough again to me. Who has someone been has, as someone who's been burned by that, and also just because of like I feel like I've paid less attention to college football than ever this year in this climate. So I feel like I don't even I, like, I don't have the pulse of what's going on in college as much. Okay, so we are going to make our playoff picks. Our, they're kind of survivor picks, but not really. We're just going to pick from the playoff teams. But before we do, please follow Sir Brad. He's going to give you a private tour of the pit of misery. I just want to throw like the New York Giants and Joe Judge and literally everyone complaining about the Eagles tanking on national television into the pit of misery stats because who, I mean, you're going to have to, should I just curse and you can bleep this out or should I just not do it? I guess I shouldn't do it. It's a family show. Um, but I, I really just want to be like, shut the F up. Like I, I've heard enough people talk about this. It doesn't matter stats. It doesn't matter that the Eagles lost this game. And they did some maneuvers that helped them lose this game. It is so crazy, the discourse that has come out of this. There are so many bigger issues with the Eagles. I mean, just to name a few, uh, the quarterback 
who they paid $120 million, doesn't want to play for the team. The general manager, <laughs> who has played a big part in this team's downfall since the Super Bowl, is in no danger of being fired. The head coach is going to be back. Like This team is a mess. They're over the cap by $70 million. Stats, I have been not reluctant at all to rip the Eagles. You know that. Everyone knows that. I get crap all the time for being too negative about the Eagles. I'm going to defend the Eagles for once a year and say they did the smart thing, what's best for their team, not some BS arbitrary crap about, oh, the NFL, they set the NFL back or they ruined the integrity of the game. No, they didn't. They did what was best for them and they lost the game. And even the idea like that, like they just did something totally crazy. Like they were, you know, they were winning the game and they totally just, took Jalen Hurts out. That wasn't even true. I mean, they were down by three points. Jalen Hurts was like seven of 22 or something or seven of 20 at the time. He wasn't even playing like all that super well. And stats, what if Jalen Hurts like tore his ACL late in that game? Would Doug Peterson not be getting ripped? Would the Eagles not be getting ripped for having him playing in a meaningful game when you could actually put Nate Sudfeld in who has looked fine in the preseason in the past. It's not like he's total joke of an NFL player um, who's never done anything and who will be a free agent and won't be back with the team. So you're not risking him by playing him. Like, it's it's such a joke. Joe Judge, total fake tough guy. Give me a break. Uh, we'll never do this. Well, guess what, Joe Judge? Uh, he, he said his guys want to play 60 minutes. He's always going to do that. Well, he didn't play 60 minutes when he played the Eagles earlier this year because they had an 11-point lead, the Giants did, over the Eagles. And had they won that game, they would have been in the playoffs. If you want to make the playoffs, Giants, Giants fans, Joe Judge, how about you win more than six games? All of you into the pit of misery. Everything you said makes perfect sense. And flip it around, right? What if your team was up by 50 points? Are you giving your star running back 30 carries in the fourth quarter because of the integrity of the game? No, you're going to do what's best for your team, which is to bench that guy and to protect that guy. It's just an asinine argument. The integrity of the game. What does that even mean? The NFL forced the Broncos to play this year without a quarterback. The Broncos went to the league and asked if a coach could play quarterback because they were still going to put that game on because they didn't want to cancel games. So don't lecture me about the integrity of the game. The league itself doesn't care about the integrity of the game. The Broncos, the Browns had no wide receivers for a game this year. They had to play with all practice squad people. Nope, NFL didn't care. We're playing the game. There is no integrity of the game. That is such a myth. It is not the Eagles' job to make sure that a division rival gets into the playoffs, especially a division rival with 10 losses. It's an asinine argument to make. Joe Judge needs to look at himself in the mirror instead of blaming some other team for why his guys are sitting home right now. It's absolutely ridiculous. They are all in the pit of misery. I couldn't agree with you more. Goodbye, New York Giants fans. If this game wasn't on national television, I know this is a very common take, but it's, it's, it needs to be said. If this game wasn't on Sunday Night Football, no one would care stats. There would be no conversation about this. No one would even know. If this game was on 1 o'clock or whatever, no one would care. But it was on national television, so everyone did see it, and it is really stupid. And it really, again, irks me because it's just distracting from all these bigger issues that are actually legitimate, valid criticisms of the Eagles' stats. We won't even remember this by the time the wild card games are here this weekend. I completely agree with you. It's, it's just a ridiculous argument. And I hope we never, ever, ever have to have it again. Okay, before we go, we got to make our one pick for the week, our survivor pick of the week. Last week, you picked the Jags over the Colts, which was a terrible idea. They, of course, lost. And I know you're doing it because you said you wanted to talk about them, but whatever. You are at 11 and 5. I took the Titans over the Texans. That bumps me up to 10 and 6. Just one game back of you. I am coming for you. You are in my sights. So you better be on your game this week. What do you got? I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills stats. How could I not take the Bills to beat the Colts? I mean, we didn't even want the Colts to be in the playoffs. Um, The Bills are looking awesome right now. They're, again, the term I keep using is well-oiled machine because that's truly what they are. Josh Allen, you know, I think he will benefit from from having that playoff experience from last year and kind of knowing what not to do this time and kind of going a little too crazy and getting too wild. Um, yes, I really like the Bills this weekend. I feel like they're at lock. I don't really even care what they are against the spread. Like, give me the Bills. I think they're locked in. The Colts, um, quality team, you know, good regular season team, but I just don't think they're making any serious postseason noise here. I agree with you. That is a smart pick. Buffalo is rolling right now. I, I don't love anything about the Colts. 
I'm going to get a little crazy here. And Uh-oh. maybe this is maybe this is just me, my biases taking over. I am going to take the Chicago Bears over the New Orleans Saints. Wow. It doesn't make much sense. Drew Brees is a better quarterback than Mitchell Trubisky. The Saints have a better roster than the Bears. I admit all this, and I'm probably going to look like a complete fool. But just look at the Saints' history in the playoffs recently. Isn't this a perfect setup for a game that they lose? They always lose in the playoffs to teams that you wouldn't think could beat them, whether it's the Vikings or the Rams. I just think that this is going to be another example of Sean Payton and Drew Brees not getting it done in the playoffs. I don't think it'll happen, but I do think the logic is sound because of what you said about the the Saints are always going to choke. It's what they do. We also have to mention here that Alvin Kamara, you know, on the COVID list, it seems like there's going to be a chance he can play. We'll see. But if he's not playing, I mean, that's a big blow. So uh, I could totally see it happening just because of how I don't really feel great about Drew Brees heading into the playoffs. And, uh, I, you know, I think the, the Saints, again, prone to uh, disappointment in the postseason. Don't love how, obviously, the Bears finished the year against the the, uh, the Packers there, sliding into the playoffs as they did. But, I mean, if Trubisky can kind of play a little bit better like he did before the final week of the season, then maybe uh, I would like to see it. I'd root for it to happen. And if this game was in Chicago, I would feel even better. Now it's not. It's in New Orleans, so it'll be inside. But I just feel like it's one of those games that the Saints have to come out right away and do a knockout punch because the longer they let the Bears hang around in this one, I think that doubt starts to creep in your mind, right? If you're a Saints player, like, oh, no, are we? is this really going to happen to us again? I think that's a real thing, especially in the playoffs. Again, I don't think it's going to – it's not likely to happen, but I don't know. I just have – this is just a pure gut feeling ignoring most of what the evidence tells me, and I'm going to go with the Bears over the Saints. And they're going to get into this more, I would presume, well, both on the look ahead this week and the uh, 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 fancy cheat sheet here. But uh, I am looking at the spread for this game and the Bears stats are 9.5 underdogs. I like the points there. Yeah, I think I do, too. I don't think they're going to get absolutely blown out. I really don't love what I've seen from the Saints. And I would feel pretty confident picking the Bears to cover that spread. I mean, nine and a half. There is always the possibility that Trubisky just (laughs) implodes, but I don't think he's going to do that. Well, we will see. If he gets a win, like this could be a terrible thing for the Bears. If Trubisky wins and they end up keeping that naggy Trubisky combo, that this could be one of the worst things that happens to the Bears in a long time. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like they almost have to. You know, it's not like they have a lot of great options here. It's not like, like, what else are they going to do? What are they going to pivot to if they don't get Trubisky? If they, even if they lose this game, um, they're going to be picking like 19th, 20th in the draft. Um, You know, if they win even further down. So not great. Here's the perfect game script. Trubisky comes in, struggles, keeps it close. Nagy pulls the plug. And who comes in to save the day for the Bears? (laughs) Your boy. Nick Foles rides in on the white horse and leads the Bears to the win. I could totally envision it. (laughs) That would be awesome. Nick Foles would just be like part-time quarterback. Like can't do anything in the regular season. Just put me in in the playoffs and we get it done. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, please, if you like the show, if you listen every week, just take one minute. It doesn't take much of your time at all, but it makes a big difference for us. Give us a nice rating and a review. We will read it on the show. We do appreciate it. Enjoy the games this week. Root for all my picks to be correct. And now we'll talk to you next week.